Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate the opportunity to to present today and and to be here. And uh, although it's probably not good news for providers, uh, if you educate yourself, uh, the, the opportunity to speak about the new TPE audits is very important. And so I look forward to it. Um, all right, so I'm going to go over what is probably in, in in the doctor and provider world the the hottest new item for uh, federal audits uh, that has really been going uh, rolling out over the past uh, six to twelve months and has gotten up to speed around the country. Um, I've represented a number of different types of providers in in lots of different scenarios. Um, depending on where they're employed or how they're employed. And it's really important to understand what the differences are about a TPE versus the other traditional types of audits. And I'm going to go through step-by-step step today, and hopefully everybody has a chance to take away something valuable uh, that can help reduce your risk, and we can uh, walk away hopefully better armed uh, to provide good, clean services and build them appropriately. All right, so goals for today. Uh, we are going to learn uh, the TPE process. Uh, I'll take you step by step on, on the mechanic, the general mechanics of the process, how long it lasts, what all is involved. Uh, we're gonna learn how to pass a TPE audit. That's the goal is to pass. Um, the most important elements and steps to successfully passing a TPE audit. Uh, we'll go over some help, helpful strategies uh, that will uh, decrease your error rates and hopefully increase your compliance and resolve this type of audit uh, much more easily and swiftly. We're going to learn the significant risks for failing a TPE, which these are very personal. Um, they are they're focused on the provider themselves, not just the practice. Uh, there are some very hard practical realities of the risks um, when, when, when you're facing a TPE audit. All right, so uh, Section A, I've kind of put this in our three major categories as outlined in our goals, uh, is who are the players and the processes in uh, a TPE? Uh, TPE, Targeted Probe and Educate. Uh, I feel it's a bit of a misnomer, <laughs> except for the targeted. Um, the, there is a duty for uh, the auditors to educate, and, and they, they tr have certain steps that they need to fulfill to educate, uh, but there are some very significant risks along the way here. So TPEs are performed by your Medicare administrative contractors, your MACs, um, and these are your different jurisdictions around the country. Um, you know, as many people know, you, you have a different MAC for type of, um, type of provider. So if, if you have a, a Part A for hospital MAC and a Part B sometimes, and a, or a DME will be a separate, or if you're Part D, I do a lot of uh, pharmacy. And so... Max vary by jurisdiction, uh, type of provider, supplier, and item or service build. Um, breakdown of max and targets will be later on uh, in section C, and I'll give you some real specifics uh, for the 2019-2020 contracts and what they're looking at. Now, as in healthcare, if you really do your homework, TPEs are like a lot of other areas, 
you, you can know what's going on in advance and you can prepare yourself. So I'm really thankful that you're taking the time to uh, educate yourself today uh, on this important topic because if you're prepared now, you can take action before you have this type of issue. Scope of authority for Max. Uh, there was a, uh, a pilot program for a couple years um, for the TPEs and it was very successful at two things. Um, it was successful at rooting out providers who refused to comply and educate themselves and they had very significant consequences. And on the opposite end, it was very successful at bringing providers who had deficient documentation and billing habits into compliance. So uh, after that pilot, it rolled out to all the MACs in all jurisdictions uh, within the past year. And um, they are now all authorized to begin performing TPEs. I think I've been uh, defending a TPE in almost every jurisdiction in the country at this point. So um, despite public information regarding the targeted services for each jurisdiction, which is released on uh, the different MACS websites or the CMS website regarding TPEs or even housed within uh, the OIG work plan. Um, if you want to read that library of information, you can find it there too. Um, they are authorized to target any provider um, that meets four main categories. So that there's, in what you have publicly available, there's targeted services, but MACs have their own authority to pick uh, a, a provider that they think they need to review. It's, even though you have some guidance, they still have some discretion. And that's important to understand as, as we think, we, we don't ever want to think, well, my, my doctor's not on the list or I'm not the doctor on the list. Well, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't prepare for this. All right, so continuing on uh, with players and processes, the four main categories uh, for common errors are missing signatures, documentation that fails to reflect medical necessity, encounter notes that lack support for all elements of eligibility. As many providers know, there's sometimes a lot of elements, and, and so when you've got pieces of those missing, I know it's painful to write all that down, get it all in the EMR, um, but it is necessary uh, to support your claims uh, with Medicare and your federal payers and obviously with your privates also. But also missing an incomplete initial certifications or recertification is very important for a lot of different arenas. Um, you know, there's a lot of providers on this call that, um, you know, a certification is, you know, the validity of a lot of services that you provide after that. And if that is lacking, then there's a large amount of reimbursement at risk. So providers are targeted on four main bases. Um, questionable billing practices. Now, when I say questionable billing practices, most of the audience on here should think about uh, comparative billable reports, CBRs. Um, so if you are a provider or a practice manager and you know CBRs have been going on for many years, uh, you'll get a report that basically stacks you or your provider up against a similar uh, type of provider within your region and says, hey, your, 
your billing habits, right, are a, within the normal deviation or they're outside the normal deviation. And so that is what questionable billing practices are. And, you know, there's some of the traditional questionable billing practices, like do you have one service that you are extraordinarily high on? Uh, and that doesn't always mean you're doing something wrong. You know, I rep represent lots of providers who are specialists in real niche areas. And, you know, they're always going to be an outlier. They just have to be extra, extra diligent in, in documentation and justification for their services. Uh, claim error rates from prior reviews are probably one of the most consistent reasons for being targeted for a TPE. So if you are a provider or a practice who's been audited before, um, had a couple run-ins with a RAC or a UPIC or a ZPIC in prior history, Medicare is tracking all of those reviews against the practice and the individual provider's NPI. So you are probably high on the list for a TPE. Um, services with national air, national error rates, high national error rates, and this is uh, regardless of provider error rates. So if you're in one of the arenas, um, you know, I, I hate to pick on home health agencies, but this is one of the, the arenas that this is significant. Um, you know, outside labs, this is significant. There's a number of others. Uh, in, in the ancillary arena, but where everybody in the industry gets it wrong a lot, you're more likely to be targeted. Also, services that are a financial risk for Medicare, regardless of provider error rate. All right, well, this just makes common sense to everybody. The big money tickets, right? This is uh, the significant surgeries, the significant DME, the significant uh, long stays um, for long-term care. These are your big ticket items. They, they also are focused more on for TPE because, you know, obviously Medicare has got uh, a significant interest in preserving the fiscal, fiscal integrity uh, of those funds. And so it's easiest for them to target the services that are worth the most. All right, uh, next page for section one, uh, the players and processes. We're gonna talk about each step in the process. Um, so step one uh, you're gonna, you, is your notice, right? Um, this is back to constitutional law. Did you receive sufficient notice of your rights? Um, so step one, you will see receive a notice of review letter, a NOR, um, or an initial notification letter from the MAC stating that the provider or supplier has been selected. All right, the NOR will state the reason or reasons that the provider or supplier was targeted for the TPE. You know, an example is an analysis of your billing data has indicated aberrances that suggest questionable billing practices, right? A big, vague language. So you, you get a lot of the, the CBR language of um, you, you're, you have a deviation and are outside a norm or, or those type of issue, that type of language. And so you may receive that directly from the MAC in your NOR. Now your NOR can just be notice of you're, you've been selected for this process and here's what we're looking at, or it can be a post-payment uh, NOR, and that review 
also serves as additional document requests and, and ADRs. So it'll say, this is why we're looking at you and what we're looking at. Please send us these records. Um, an NOR for prepayment review, you know, versus the ADR uh, identifies each claim to re be reviewed. So um, an NOR with the additional document request may not give you specific service uh, notice. It may say that we have question about your billing practices, please send us 20 patients. And that's all you'll know before you send that off. Uh, versus an NOR for prepayment review says that, hey, we question you know, this specific service and it'll, it'll list one or two, sometimes three services. It'll say, you know, hey, we, we think this J code is a problem or we think this you know, DME is a problem or, or you know, it'll itemize specifically what they're looking at to start with. All right, um, next page here, uh, step two is what I call the round one of review. And just as an overview, there are three major rounds of review in a TPE process over a 12-month period, and we'll go into how all of that breaks down in detail. Um, round one of review, you're going to produce to the MAC uh, 20 to 40 uh, claims records, um, and, and sometimes that's a lot of uh, medical charts, um, but they'll identify the claims in concern and, and by patient, and you'll support uh, you'll send them supporting medical records along with claim information. And um, basically, if you've got any additional documentation that might support your position that you did it in accordance with CMS's rules and billing requirements, you want to include that. Um, a very important, you know, first piece of advice is a lot of times, you know, they only ask for a certain time period. If you have an important piece of documentation that justifies the provision of the service during the time period that came before that time period, always include that because that's your validation for providing the services. Don't limit it to just the universe um, if you think there's necessary documentation that should be included. So if the provider supplier meets all the CMS requirements on the initial review, the provider supplier will be released from the TPE process and the MAC will not audit the provider or supplier for the same basis or bases identified in the NOR for at least one year absent changes in CMS billing or coverage policy. I love that clause, right? They, they were always lawyers. They're writing clauses in there. So if you are perfect in your first review, you will get a hall pass. You'll get a 12-month hall pass, right? You, you, you won't be selected unless CMS decides to change their billing policies and, and coverage policies, and we all know that that can happen. If errors or denied claims are found, we go on uh, to the review from, uh, from the review process in round one. So if the MAC finds errors or denied claims, um, they will first off recoup those claims. They, they will automatically recoup denied claims. Um, you can appeal them, and we'll talk about appeal strategies shortly, but and why and when to do that. 
but you will get a results letter detailing the billing errors or other grounds for the claim denials. And you'll have an educational session. This will be a video conference uh, with the educator, not the auditor. Very important distinction is that the uh, provider outreach is your main point of contact, not the auditor and the actual reviewer of the documentation. And it'll be a one-on-one -on -one education call uh, with provider outreach and education staff. It's an opportunity to review the TPE results, discuss errors, and CMS policies related to the services or items under review. The most important element about this is to take advantage of it and to ask good questions. If you don't understand something about the results, this is your opportunity. Make sure you take full advantage of it. All right, uh, step three is round two. So if you had any errors at all, if you weren't perfect on round one, you will automatically have a round two. Or, and we'll talk about this a little more later, if you just miss round one, um, and I've had a lot of providers that have just missed round one. They didn't know what the TPE was and they didn't respond. They thought it was just another document request because practices get lots of them. Um, you will fail automatically and you'll be kicked to round two automatically. So there's a 45 day wait period after your first educational session uh, to allow the provider supplier to implement the education received on identified errors and denied claims. You get a second production of 20 to 40 claims and support records. You have a second results letter identifying what claim errors or denials may be left, and, and hopefully there's less by that time. Um, sometimes it's quite tricky. And so you, you have you know gray areas in Medicare policies and sometimes you know, you don't have a local LCD. Uh, there may be an LCD from another jurisdiction or an NCD that isn't quite uh, clear. You need to make sure that you dig in and understand fully what uh, the policy expectation is. For deny claims, you will have a second round of recoupment. Uh, it's more lost money. And you'll have another educational session. And my recommendation by, by the second educational session you really need to be narrowing down the issues because if you have any type of errors or denials in round two, you must know exactly how to fix them by the end of round two because round three is your last last chance. Three strikes and you're out. And, and we'll talk about what out means in a, in a little bit. All right, so uh, step four, round three of review. This is your last chance, all right? Another 45-day wait period, another 20 to 40 claims and support records, uh, third results letter with any remaining errors and denials, third round of recoupment, third educational session, and this time you'll get a notice of potential consequences for failing to achieve full compliance. Now, the regulation says full compliance, which you know, in the mathematical mind means 100%. You've got to be 100% perfect. Now, practically, having handled a lot of these, MACs in every jurisdiction are not requiring absolute perfection, but they have a threshold. 
and it and each of the MACs have some discretion to determine what that threshold is. And and so some of them, you know, uh, have had clients pass at 90% or 85%. Um, and, but you you the you need to be aware that the regulation says that there's no grace. All right, the expectation is perfect compliance. So we'll talk about consequences. And round three will give you notice of consequences. And here we go, final decisions for failure to comply. So failure to comply with three rounds on a TPE. Um, if you had uh, a limited scope TPE on specific services or items, they can start a new round of TPE audit based off of new or other services that uh, were shown to be a problem uh, as a result during this process. Specific claims uh, or full 100% prepayment review. And if you as a provider uh, or practice have never lived through prepayment review, that is a very painful difficult process where you have to produce your medical records and supporting documentation for every claim that that you bill in order to get paid. And, and many times, if it is not a very valuable claim, uh, the labor is more expensive than the claim is worth. Uh, but otherwise, you, you can't get paid. The MAC can extrapolate the error rate from the results letter uh, from the sample uh, over universe of claims back six years. So the, the look back period for all federal payers is six years. And so if you could imagine, you know, what your errors were on and then how much you received on those type of services for the past six years, and if you had a 40, 50% error rate, how much revenue did you receive on those services uh, over the past six years, and 50% of that may be your alleged overpayment. So it is quite serious and quite significant, and they can demand it all. So they can refer you to a RAC, all right, recovery audit contractor. Most people are familiar with a RAC. That is a contingency fee auditor. Um, they are a independent contractor of Medicare, and, and they hunt errors and get paid on how much they collect. So they also are part of the extrapolation. They can extrapolate. You may, you could be referred to a UPIC, a Unified Program Integrity Contractor. This is a, a UPIC is Generation Two of ZPICs, Zone Program Integrity Contractors, which are the fraud, waste, and abuse auditors. They work for uh, the centers. Uh, for the integrity department of Medicare, and they are hunting potential fraud. So if you have some significant issues in your results letter, uh, you're more likely to end up being referred to a UPIC. Now, important to understand that a UPIC for suspicion of potential abusive or fraudulent claims uh, can be referred at any stage. It doesn't have to happen at the end you could be referred during round one of review. Um, so it is really important to carefully evaluate what you're sending out the door and did you do it right? Is there, can you eliminate any grounds that might be re, you know, construed as abusive or fraudulent? 
Uh, you need to be very careful about making sure that you put everything together to justify your services. All right, CMS can begin Medicare exclusion process also at any stage if they find that there's something uh, that they have evidence of abusive or fraudulent, they can start the exclusion process. And, you know, as providers know, if you're excluded from Medicare, it's pretty much the death of you ever billing insurance again because your private payers normally require good standing with Medicare, even if you're not billing Medicare. CMS can refer providers or supplier to the Office of Inspector General, the OIG, uh, for potential prosecution by the Department of Justice. And we all you have to do is Google healthcare fraud, uh, and there's a lot of cases out there right now. And there has been for many years. And, and I don't think the prosecution of healthcare fraud is going to slow down. It, it appears to only be heating up because we do have, unfortunately, some bad actors in a very big system. All right. Section two, how to pass and defend a TPE audit. So you have immediate steps. What are the very first things you do? All right. And this is this is the most important. Figuring out how to respond the right way from the beginning is absolutely the critical uh, point for successfully passing a TPE. Um, most providers who fail, uh, their pride or negligence get in the way and they don't respond adequately or don't respond at all to begin with. So take the review seriously. Yes, it is a hassle. It takes time. It is not why you went to med school, um, but it is really, really important for your career and your finances. So providers, suppliers should carefully and thoroughly research the CMS policies and regulations regarding the targeted services or items. So I hate to say this, but I've been hired by plenty of physicians who didn't know how to look up a local coverage determination or a national coverage determination through the CMS website. You've got to know how to, how to find the rules for the game you're playing. So if you are a provider and you are billing Medicare, you got to know how to find the rules. And those coverage determinations are the rules. So educate yourself. And you get this notice, you need to know more about those services than the education outreach provider from the MAC by the time you get to the review session. So do your homework. Um, I highly suggest hiring uh, an external coding and compliance professional with experience on the services or items that are targeted. So obviously, uh, if you are an oncologist or nephrologist or some specialty, um, you need to find somebody who's got uh, very good credentials in coding and documentation within your arena. Um, so reach out and find that person. And, and there's a lot of very good professionals out there. Um, but do your homework, uh, interview several people, make sure that they've got credibility and experience. This is the next point uh, is, is probably the one that is hardest for providers to understand, but it is so critical is to begin self-auditing documentation for deficiencies. So find the rules, self-audit your own charts against the rules. Look for your own errors, all right? 
and then correct errors in your new notes, not previous medical records. Obviously, you can't change the record once it exists, except through a proper attestation process. Um, but you can correct your errors moving forward, because the goal of a TPE is to pass by round three. And if you're really good at self-auditing and educating yourself, maybe you can pass by round two and, and, and reduce the, the duration of this nightmare. Um, but get ready for results from round one, all right? You can't just wait on that phone call. You need to be educating yourself up to then. So be thoroughly prepared. Um, for educational sessions, make sure you're ready. You're going to get an hour to an hour and a half on the phone with provider outreach. You need to impress them. You need to show them that you know what you're doing, that you're fixing your ways, and that you're going to eliminate any remaining errors that might exist within that second round. All right. Um, steps to defending pass one, educational session, as I said. Um, I always suggest that the provider or supplier plus your external expert should be on the call because a lot of times, um, and, and I also suggest healthcare counsel, obviously. Um, there, there's a lot of very good professionals in my arena out there, um, but healthcare counsel no, will help enforce your rights in, in this process. Um, they should all plan to participate, right? Because there's the clinical perspective, which is the provider, there's the compliance perspective, and there's the legal perspective, and all three have to work together for a successful outcome. So prepare to discuss the research from your policies um, that you found before. Um, you're gonna look at examples of uh, errors and how to correct them. Um, and But don't be afraid to hold your ground clinically either. If you think you are within the policy and clinically appropriate, hold your ground clinically. Just ask, how do I document this? And, and just what on paper are you looking for to, that will support what I know and believe in accordance with the policy is a good clinical position. Don't be afraid of medicine. Just learn how to document it. So do not leave the educational session without a plan of action. Most important. You must narrow what the issues are and talk about with provider outreach. Here's our next steps to make the next round our last. All right. Um, this is a strategy question. I'm sure most people understand that um, that there's a huge backlog of Medicare appeals um, and that it's it's a cumbersome, difficult process. And if you're you know if you're an office manager or you work in a billing department, you understand this process very very well. But I recommend that if you if you determine that you've got good grounds to dispute, that you assert appeals, all right? And, and this has been a very successful strategy when you have someone, um, provider outreach or an auditor that's a part of a TPE that's producing denials that you disagree with, then you've got a, a well-supported position for. And so a well-supported ap appeal that is overturned at, at uh, at a second layer, all right, you know, that first appeal goes back to the MAC and a different division. And I've had lots of TPEs where the appeals department overturned the denial and approved the claim. And then we take that approval back over to the TPE auditor and say, look, your own appeals department agrees with us. 
and they've reversed their position. So winning appeals makes a big difference in a TPE. So it, it may not be the most cost effective, but sometimes it's very effective in reducing your error rate on a TPE. All right, part C, major risks of TPE audits. Um, expansion of review. Um, most TPEs start out with targeted services, right? High dollar value or um, unusually high provision of a specific service. And let me tell you that um, if that all of a sudden expands all across all your services and you're a provider type that is very uh, government payer heavy, most of your revenue stream can be at risk. And so it's very important. Um, if you don't pass within that one year and take corrective action plan, um, that they can push it out to all of your services. They can put you on prepayment review, uh, which is grindingly painful, or they can even put you on payment suspension. Uh, payment suspension is a 180 days for one round with more education, and they can renew it for another 180 days uh, with more education. And if there's not compliance after two rounds of suspension, they can exclude you. And and it doesn't necessarily have to wait that long. They could move to exclude you earlier. Um, but imagine not getting paid on any of your Medicare for 360 days. It, it could be the death of a practice. Extrapolation. Uh, Although most of us are familiar with auditors and extrapolating an error rate from a sample claims of universe uh, back six years, you may not be aware that over the past 10 years, there's, there's a growing legal dispute and there's a number of cases uh, where the courts have said that uh, use of extrapolation may not be appropriate for uh, lack of medical necessity or some of those arenas. But the other on the other side is that you, you may not realize that a lot of extrapolation, particularly performed by MACs and RACs, is now run through a software program and not a statistician. Um, they have they've been able to develop a software program that can draw the statistical analysis and extrapolation uh, down to an algorithm, and so that that can be very difficult. So. Um, that is a very significant weapon of auditors, and it is growing stronger in non-compliance arenas, although the law is carving off some areas on clinical decision-making. All right, uh, referral to the RAC. All right, obviously, as we said, uh, RACs are contingency fee-based. That makes them particularly motivated to find more overpayments because they make more money. Um, the look back period is now a universal six years for all federal payers. There used to be a four year and then a six year for good cause. Um, that regulation has been updated and it's just a flat six year look back period across the board. Uh, RACs are error and emissions auditors, um, which means they're, they're very focused on the technical aspects, um, timing of delivery of service, uh, certifications, recertifications, they're, they're pretty focused on the compliance elements and are pretty good at it, honestly, too. Um, understanding the risks continued here, referral to a UPIC. UPICs are fraud, waste, and abuse 
FWA, Integrity Auditors. Um, one absolutely critical, and I give full presentations on this distinction, is that UPICs are much broader than the prior generation, the ZPICs, because they're permitted to audit across all payers with federal funding or federal management support at once, which you can imagine that would be catastrophic. Um, now, they're a fee-for-service basis, which means they don't get paid on a contingency, um, but they usually have a very long audit process, and they wield their weapon of a credible allegation of fraud. Um, they frequently implement payment suspensions and prepayment reviews. Now, the next major risk is the exclusion process, uh, where these are death of a career outcomes uh, that we're going through here, unfortunately. Uh, so if you are referred to the OIG HHS division um, from some credible source, the regulation says, can be a MAC, can be a RAC, a UPIC, um, they can start the exclusion process on you, um, which obviously would prevent you from all other federal plans and most private plans uh, because of the requirement to be in good standing with Medicare. Uh, the OIG makes an independent decision, uh, and there's an appeal process for that, much shorter than the claims appeal process, thank goodness. Um, you do have a right to an administrative law judge hearing, and then to the Department of Appeals Board. Now, uh, I won't go into it right now, but there are mandatory and permissive grounds for exclusion, and if you uh, want to take this handout and look up that website, there's a long list of the different reasons. All right, um, a little bit more about the exclusion process. Um, you could be close to exclusion, but not quite there, and end up on a corporate integrity agreement, which is a long, painful process of the government um, riding your tail about compliance uh, according to a very strict uh, settlement agreement. And you can do that in lieu of exclusion, which is certainly better than exclusion. Um, and we've been involved and negotiated a lot of these, um, and they're onerous. They require a third party uh, to be independently verify performance, um, and the integrity agreements are the same thing as a CIA, but with an individual provider or small group practice. Referral to the Department of Justice. This is the bad news. All right, this is, this is a, the ugly end of the road here. Um, civil prosecution under the False Claims Act can also be criminal prosecution under the False Claims Act, uh, treble damages, penalties per claim up to 23000 now, and obviously there's a huge arena of health care criminal um, in the agencies and activity. Um, so there are health care fraud strike forces, which are basically uh, collaborations among the agencies um, for the DOJ, the OIG, Medicare, FBI, um, other agencies including DEA, IRS, and so even local, even local law enforcement and state are a part of these, and you can look at the website there and look at the different strike forces and where they're operating. All right, Whew. I'm glad we're past some of that real ugly stuff, and I know we're running towards the end here, and I want to make sure that we have some time for some questions. Um, 
but at the end here, homework to take away, right? So you can uh, go to the CMS website and learn about TPE audits, but I highly encourage you to go to your Mac and look at their websites. And I have each of the different uh, predominant Macs up there and their divisions by jurisdiction and type of service, type of provider, and make sure that you narrow it down and you're in the right element and jurisdiction uh, for your type of practice. And you can find those and what they are doing with TPE audits right now on all those websites. All right. Um, oh, Novitas, First Coast Services are a couple more. And then obviously the big OIG HHS work plan. Um, the I'm one of those crazy super geeks who gets excited when the work plan comes out because then I know what what is uh, going to be targeted for the next year, and hopefully I can help prevent uh, some big problems for my clients. All right, in summary, before we go to questions here, um, TPEs are providing uh, proving to have significant risk for individual providers. Um, the most effective defense is properly handling the TPE. So make sure you are focused on achieving compliance within one year. Um, I suggest if it is cost effective and, and appropriate based on whatever your evidence is and your policies, appealing claims, uh, it's a useful weapon uh, for determining any disputable case-by-case -case claims. Uh, providers must educate themselves in advance uh, if they're providing targeted services. So if you do homework and see that you have got one of the services that is currently targeted uh, for a TPE, it is time to brush up. Um, make sure that you are ready as this is going to be coming uh, shortly as a new level of review. All right, well, I think that is about all I've got right now, and it looks like there may be some questions coming in. So there's my contact information, and I, I appreciate this opportunity. Hey, thank you so much, Stephen. I appreciate it. That was very, very informative, so I very much appreciate that. So we do have a few questions. Uh, the first one is, what happens if a provider does not receive or misses a NOR for a TPE? Well, unfortunately, I'm finding that this is very common, particularly where providers um, have outsourced their billing because obviously, um, you know, most providers and, and practice managers know that you receive all your notices from Medicare back through your lockbox. Lock um, they, they don't often send you paper, paper mail anymore. And so a lot of times if you've outsourced this to a third party billing company, uh, someone at the billing company doesn't recognize it and, and that notice gets lost. The unfortunate reality is that provider misses out on round one. They fail round one and all those claims are recouped automatically. So um, that's why doing your homework ahead of time, making sure that you've got uh, good control of your notices that are coming in the door. And that's why it, I also tell my providers, you must, must pay attention to every records request. I know you get a lot of them for all different reasons, you know, from certs to risk adjustments to, you know, lots of different reasons. But you've got to understand why people are looking at your claims. Okay. Um, 
Very good. So the next question is, how are providers determined to be outliers from their peers? That's a very good question. Um, you know, so, so Mark Twain once said, there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, da but data can be manipulated, but data can also be very useful. Um, and I, I have a, I have a unique practice in that my primary opponent is not another lawyer. Most lawyers have another lawyer that is their opponent. My opponent is a data miner and the data miners are watching trends. And, and so the historical trends are, you know, are you a service outlier, meaning you provide one service much more frequently than another, so you don't, you know, your peers don't do that, or are you a flatline, right? I mean, does it look like everybody's getting the same service no matter what, and you're not making medical decisions? So those are the two predominant ways that outliers are picked. Um, there's some crazy ones that happen, like, you know, a, a provider who isn't licensed to provide a certain service, all of a sudden bills services, um, but but those are those are rare. Okay, all right. Um, and then another question here: How will you know if the provider has been referred to the OIG or DOJ during the TPE process? How do they know that? Yeah, so, so that that's tricky. And um, so I am not. I repeat, I am not a white collar. Uh, defense attorney. So I've got wonderful partners who are very good at that, um, you know, former federal prosecutors. And I, I'm, I'm the subject matter geek um, with claims. And, but it has been my experience that, um, number one, uh, they don't have to tell you that they made a referral. Um, they, they can just open a case uh, with the OIG or the DOJ and say, please look at this. We think it might be fraud. But I will tell you that if a criminal investigation is opened, they will shut down the TPE process um, because, you know, un under the natural hierarchy of laws, the criminal um, will take over and they've got a much broader, more powerful set of tools uh, than a TPE or a MAC audit. Hmm. Okay, and can you describe for us what goes on in a TPE educational session? Certainly, yeah. So um, I like to say play nice, but be firm. Um, so these, uh, the provider outreach uh, individuals that are working on the TPE audits, um, they really catch it hard <laughs> all the time. Um, they've got angry doctors. Uh, who don't want to be wasting time, don't want to be wasting money to go through this process. So, um, you know, get, get, get some honey out there, right? Get some honey out mm -hmm. there and, hey, thank you for helping me. Thank you for this information. Um, but then at the same time, if you get to a point where you think they're incorrect on a policy or um, or a documentation requirement or something like that, you know, respectfully and firmly disagree. Well, I, I believe your position's incorrect and, and we will work on providing you information uh, and evidence to establish that. So um, I say hold the two together and, 
what they will do during the session is they'll actually have a, a PowerPoint, a little bit like this, but much shorter, uh, with your claims and your data and your information there, and they'll take you through some of the education and how to correct it. Um, make sure you ask for a copy of that. You're entitled to a copy of it. Um, and, and then you can take your own homework and compare. So, and uh, make sure you ask lots and lots of questions. Write them down. Take lots of notes so that you can walk away within that, you know, last 10 to 15 minutes with a plan of action that you agree to with the provider outreach staff. Okay. Um, do you have any other words of advice or anything you'd like to, to leave us with as we're wrapping up? Yeah, well, the one thing I'll tell you is to understand that um, whether a lot of providers think that they, because they work in a hospital or a physician network or a very large practice, that they're not at risk. Uh, the one thing I want to make sure that everybody who's on this call understands is that a TPE is individual focused. And it is irregardless of what type of entity structure, ownership structure you're after or you're, you're involved in. And Medicare is tracking individual provider performance with compliance. And this is probably the most, uh, most focused level of scrutiny on specific provider performance that uh, CMS has ever come out with. And, and it's very real. It's very hard. Um, but if you educate yourself, you can do really well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you uh, coming and doing this webinar for us today. It's It's been very informative, so thank you so much. All right, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day, everyone.